you're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Guys, we have a very special announcement. And by announcement, I mean guest! Savannah, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Savannah. Um, I've been a longtime friend of Christian's and a shorter time friend of Julia's, but still a very fond one. And um, my high school days were filled with watching Teen Wolf, and I was very glad to revisit it tonight with these lovely ladies and get to chat. Are we allowed to say that we go way back now? Yeah, I would say that we are the way, way back. The way, way back. (laughs) Yes, we went to college together. Uh, It's funny, we met before we went to college in a weird way, where the classes at Michigan's theater program are really small so once you, the names start getting out you like make Facebook groups and mm-hmm. you like get to know your classmates online before you go and if you're anything like me um, I did like have a very kind of like big mayor energy in that like I kind of was like I want to be friends with everyone all the uh, time and as soon as I like found out who would be in my class I immediately found Christian and like tracked her down we on Facebook. We were the Facebook. first five people to commit, us yeah. and a couple other friends, and we were the first two girls. Yeah. So we were like, we're girl friends, gal pals, if yes. you will. And like, we were like messaging each other on Facebook before we even got to school. Yeah. And then we got to school and we were like obviously fast friends yeah. because we had like known each other or whatever. I remember us bonding over the fact that neither of us can drive. Oh yeah. Which That's a big thing about now in our lives. Neither of us can drive. So <laughs> check out that one off the list of commonalities. And that's the only reason we remain friends. <laughs> that's the only reason we remain friends is that we have to walk places together. <laughs> I, don't, I can drive, so I clearly don't belong in this. <laughs> Was that just a puppy I, being like, me too? There are so many dogs in this building, and every once in a while they'll be barking, and I'm like, can you hear them on the podcast? Was it Cookie, Floyd, Nina, Bo? Don't know the name of Lee and Juliet's dogs. Their dog is way too small <laughs> to hear it up here. They have two. They have two dogs. Mm-hmm. 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 You guys should give them, like, co-recording credits and, like, get them to, like, howl. <laughs> Dude, sometimes you hear the we hear, downstairs. Yeah, they, they sort of, like, whine. Ooh. So I'll be sitting here, and I'll just hear, and I'm like, oh, the... The huskies are hungry or something. <laughs> huskies are hungry. They just want us to know that they're there. Yeah, they do. I love those dogs. They're great. Um, do you, a question for the wolf pack. Do you guys hang out with your neighbors or is that just us? <laughs> we love our neighbors. We we're do. very lucky. We're, we're really lucky. You don't hang out with your neighbors in your building at all, do you, Sarah? Um, do you know their names? I, well, I do know everyone's name. I do know recently I almost screamed at... <laughs> men who were like it was like um I want to say it was like a like a Wednesday or Thursday night who like they were just both white dudes and they were just like using a lot of um a lot of language that wasn't theirs to use and I uh Sam had to restrain me from yelling at them uh Sam should have just let you go yeah TV, and TV. then I um but I do know um our longtime neighbors of our downstairs. Uh we actually spent New Year's together just by like a weird stretch of things where I lost my wallet. We went to the bar across the street, they were there and they're like, Hey, we know your names from the mailbox <laughs> and then we Fun. spent some really great time together and I now am obsessed with them. Oh good. I mean, you know, you make friends in weird ways in your adulthood. And by that I mean you rarely make friends and then you make one and you never let them go because it's horrible to make friends. <laughs> you can't leave me. Like, and ideally None they have like so many more friends too, like that you can just <laughs> latch Adopt into. Them. Mm-hmm. You're like
like, oh, these are my friends now. We have a friend click. Yes. I think what works friend in this group, building, though, is that we're all, like, friendless. Yeah, everyone <laughs> in the building is like, you guys want to hang out? Really? Uh, well, on our side of the building. I have no idea what people in, like, the other wing units are, but, like, our particular hallway is just people with dogs who are like, you guys want to hang out? Yeah. Should we have a dinner party or something? <laughs> Uh, I made you guys bread. Oh, that <laughs> is actually great. really adorable. We're also the part of the people making people bread. Like, yes. it is, yeah, it's, it's community. There's a really great um, Sloane Crossley essay about her being friends with her neighbor mm-hmm. um, and, like, giving each other gifts and stuff. And then she dies. It's really sad. Ooh. But it's also great. Wow, thanks, Tuesdays with Maury. I just love to plug Sloane, Sloane Crossley whenever I can because I want their work. You know what we should plug? Uh, Teen Wolf, right? I, I don't know that this they're looking for more ratings. <laughs> I don't I know really if they're looking for plugs. Yeah, they're Can not I plug my handles? <laughs> okay, I'm looking for plugs. Someone okay, hire we'll, me. We'll, plug, we'll plug our personal handles at the end of the episode. <laughs> but what I do think we need to regroup into is talking about this particular podcast, which is the Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. Uh, my name is Christian. I'm Julia. And I'm Savannah, the Hi, guest. Hi, Sav. Hi. We're so happy to have you here. Savannah's our first guest, obviously, so if this podcast is a shit show, it's all her fucking fault. <laughs> I will take the fault. And um, most exciting, we're going to make Savannah do the recap, recap of this Oh episode. my god. Okay, can I give a small disclaimer in that I uh, did watch this whole series when I was a junior in high school, which was in 2013. Many years ago. So seven years ago is my last time really remembering this show. Well, you just need to give a recap of the particular episode we just watched. Yeah, yeah, so I just don't remember everyone's names. So I'm just... (laughs) But I have That might be fun. Wait, do I have a time limit? Do I have a... Do I have a rhyme? you have 60 seconds. Okay. Are you ready? Not yet. Hang on, okay. Okay, right. we'll, let, we'll, we'll, we'll kill time while she reviews. Mm-hmm. Guys, if you haven't listened to our most recent bonus episode, we just talked about Disney's Miracle. About the Miracle on Ice, which had its 40th anniversary this last Saturday? The 22nd. Yes. If yeah. you have bonus episode ideas, we would love your recommendations. Somebody recommended White Chicks, which... <laughs> hard pass. Hard pass, <laughs> but that is a hilarious recommendation. I just don't know if I can watch White Chicks nowadays and be like... I have no idea what it would be like to watch it again. Frankly, I just don't think that, like, me as a young white woman would have anything to add about the movie White White Chicks. Chicks. Yeah. Um, Uh, But we do have some really fun ones planned for March. I know we're going to be talking about a certain green movie, maybe Shrek (laughs) for St. Patrick's Day. Um, A Highlander episode is coming down the pipe once uh, we can get my sister here to do it with us. Because she would murder me. Yeah. Um... But this is another ep- uh, episode directed by Russell Mulcahy, so uh, we got to do it. We'll have lots of Russell Mulcahy thoughts in this episode. I thought it was really well directed. I I do too. Okay, Sav, you have like maybe five more seconds. Okay, dokey. I so many think notes, it's really amazing. I, I am very nervous. By I this. haven't taken that many notes since episode one. Yeah, we were really intense, and then we were just like, eh, we'll wing it. But I don't. I feel like I needed to take episodes during episode one when we were figuring out the podcast structure, but now I know what I'm looking for, you know? Which is why it's good to have new eyes. Yes, thank you for being here. voices, whatever we have here. Uh, Well, I mean, yes, eyes. Because we're, you know, people, humans. Yeah, but I mean, like, new eyes on the show, but new commentary on the pod. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, Sav, are you ready? Yeah, I think so. Cool. So you're going to have a minute on the clock to sum up this episode of Teen Wolf. Okay. 
And by some miracle, uh, we all have our phones this time. Uh, as opposed yeah. to being like, wait a minute. As opposed to like <laughs> rifling through the couch cushions while somebody's filming for time so we can time something. So, just to clarify, we are now on season two, episode seven. Yes. yes. Which is called. It is called. Hold. Oh my god, I wrote it down and then I. Or I was like looking at it and then I did. It's called Restrained. Thank you. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. Is that kind of our theme? Restraint. No, kind of. Our In theme, a lot of ways. We'll get to our theme. Yeah, but okay. But before we get to our theme, are you ready to sub up this episode of Teen Wolf in 60 seconds? By the way, it's way harder than you think it is. Okay, I'll try my best. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Go blue. So as per the last episode, we're still really worried about the Canima, and we open in on an RV, not in a trailer park. And then the dude of a pregnant couple is killed by the Canima. Um, we then go into like our normal characters, um, and everyone thinks that uh, Jackson's in a fugue state, like in Breaking Bad, and. Um, and then they're like, oh, actually, Styles and Scott, you guys have a restraining order against Jackson, and that's a bummer. And um, then they kind of move on. There's uh, Derek's Dead Poet Society Werewolf Club. Uh, Styles is like, don't let people do evil things. Uh, Matt's still stalking Allison, but also is maybe a cool drug high schooler. Mr. Harris like ignores the restraining order. They all get detention. They're in and out of the library. Then Styles is like, oh, maybe Matt's like controlling the canima. And then also Allison's mom's like, don't have sex with my daughter. I will sharpen your dick into a pencil. And then um, Scott's like, I'm going to join your brat pack, like the breakfast club. Oh, over. That's kind of it. That was that wasn't bad. Pretty okay. I think so we're just, going notes to taking notes can do. But also, like, we're so used to five billion things happening in one episode, and this one was, like, actually well-paced and focused on a singular storyline. That's so interesting that you think that, because I felt so overwhelmed. You <laughs> all the movie in the middle of a season on a show you haven't watched in a really long yeah. time? Yeah! We were, we were doing one of the previous episodes to this, and, like, neither of us got through the, the plot. That would check out. Yeah, we'll get like halfway through and be like, anyway, to sum up what we missed in the last 45 <laughs> minutes of the show. Like, yeah. there are so many times when I pause the show and I'm like, oh, there's 20 minutes left. Yeah. Oh my God. And I, like, I love Teen Wolf. Clearly. Yeah. We I would not obviously be love Teen Wolf. But sometimes I'm just like, wow, there really, there really are 20 minutes left. And yeah. I, I was very surprised, like, because I feel like something that, like, um, in post, like, my memory of this show has been so, like, I really remember Styles. I really remember Scott and Lydia and whatever. Like, but, like, then, like, Erica is a person. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, like, Peter is a villain and also a person. Maybe not alive. I don't remember so much of this. Kind of dead, kind of not. I think mm -hmm. the people listening to this podcast are like, oh, yeah, Erica's a person. Like, I feel like you're not in you're not a yeah. similar boat. Yeah. Um, but we do need to get into kind of the nitty-gritty of this episode. In this episode of The Rewolf, we are talking about this episode through the theme of futility. So where do we want to start? We want to dig into things that our, our characters are really working towards but are not going to happen. And I think it's really prevalent in this particular episode. So, Julia? It's all entropy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need like to find entropy. Entropy is the notion that everything, the universe is constantly in a state of falling apart. That, like, oh, I like that. Things natural <laughs> state is to decay. Um, that's, you know, that's why, like, trees grow out of concrete. Mm -hmm. um, or why like, Peter's corpse rots, like, rots beneath, entropy, like, a little. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is maybe the more literate, like, literal <laughs> definition yeah. in this particular episode. 
But like what we see through all of our characters is everybody has plans that are not going to go in any way to you know the way they think they mm-hmm. are. Yeah, I so think that, yeah. I think what we should maybe start with talking about the Teen Wolf himself and talking about Scott. Scott McCall. Um, once again, trying to do literally everything in his power to uh, save people, but this is kind of the episode where he goes a little bit off the rails and it's like, no, let's kill him. Because uh, he sees Jackson threatening Allison in the locker room and uh, they get into a really big fight. He breaks a sink um, and they all get detention. And so Scott in this episode is really trying to figure out, like, am I going to be the hero and try to save Jackson or am I teaming up with Derek because I don't have any other options. And in regards to like futility specifically for Scott like I feel like it's futile ultimately for him to ask the question of will I not help somebody out because he and Styles both have kind of these really strong moral compasses like where they're both like inherently like on the side of the like quote unquote good guys mm. and like have an innate instinct to do better to help to aid and like then in turn like he's also working against like you know some other huge factors like parents who don't like his like you know his sexual activity and like that's the only thing you're upset about no and also a restraining order against Jackson that like is quickly just disregarded entirely going going a little bit more into depth because I want to, I want to touch on that stuff too. Because that's yeah. kind of more the macro. But going a little bit more in depth on what Julia said about how it is like Jackson's direct threat of Allison that turns Scott to sort of a decision he wouldn't normally make. Mm-hmm. That's a really common trope we see, and especially like kind of big action media where it is like the direct threat of a loved one that turns somebody to like against their own like moral code. Yeah, where like. If someone they love dies, it is all of a sudden okay to take the life of another. Which I don't know if that's Scott's like direct thinking, but that threat against Allison like definitely turns a sort of key in him to make him no longer like Scott. Obviously, his biggest kind of mantra throughout the show, especially in season five, is that he doesn't kill anybody. Yeah. But there's all of a sudden this sort of jab to push him in that direction because it directly threatens Allison. Um. Yeah, and also. There, during the previously on Teen Wolf, um, they mentioned that like Jack, the Canima isn't the Canima when he's Jackson, but Jackson is increasingly becoming a problem because he is in these fugue states where he does not know what he's doing and he's not transformed. But the entire conversation that he has with um, Allison in the locker room, he can't remember. Mm-hmm. Which is probably good, because, like, his whole ass dick was hanging out. <laughs> okay, again, though, the editing did a really bad job, and I did see some, some Calvin Klein's in there. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm, like, glad for Colton Haynes, but also just, like, the way that everything was framed. Um, so, like, Scott is kind of in this position where he's trying to defend Jackson and, like, save him from himself, but Jackson is becoming increasingly unhinged. Yeah. I think, like, Scott is now reaching a point where, like, his sort of mantra and, like, his protection to his quote-unquote pack, in which he includes Jackson and mentions that, um, is not as sustainable as he wants it to be throughout his, the course of, like, this season. And that is, like, where we experience, hit, like, a lot of futility from Scott is, like, his dedication to protecting people can't actually surpass, you know, one or two people at a time because someone is always going to get hurt. Yeah. I think um, something that, like, you were kind of touching on within, like, 
it's almost somehow justifiable for like an action hero to be violent in a way that they wouldn't be if it's in like defense of one of their kind of pack members right so Mm -hmm. like in talking about like the allison like kind of aspect of like that like leads like scott to violence um something that like really struck me in turn like was the way in which jackson attacked her and specifically called her a stupid bitch and then called scott a stupid bitch and then called him again a stupid bitch and i will say that the only time that allison ever defended any of the callings of the stupid bitch was on Scott's behalf. For the record, he cannot call Allison a stupid bitch. That's terrible. But as two people who have regularly called Scott McCall a stupid bitch, you might have touched on that Yeah! One. Like, credit where credit is due, Scott McCall is a stupid bitch. But I just found it, I found, like, the more interesting thing was, like, that she didn't speak on defense of herself being a stupid bitch. But she was attacked on behalf of her boyfriend, her relationship, and her father. We will get to mm-hmm. Allison in this episode in a minute, but I do want to dive back into Scott really quickly. What else do we think is futile in his life? Like, I think right now his relationship with his mother is kind of disintegrating, and I don't know if there's any one way he can stretch towards her without reaching away from his friends and vice versa. And that is something that you kind of feel in this episode. I think it's becoming increasingly clear the futility of him trying to keep his reality from her. And um, I have always said that the show gets much better once the adults are aware of the situation Mm. because then they can become active participants. Um, But I think in this episode, like, there's this moment where Scott is like, do you really want to know what's going on with me? And Melissa McCall is like, yes, of course, obviously I do. But Styles is like, nope, nope, can't do that. Seinfeld, dear and there. And... I'm telling you, it's like every time that Styles makes an observation, they like play this little like doo 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 like music in the background. <laughs> it's like a like, weird <laughs> blend of like the Seinfeld riff, Seinfeld riff, but also kind of the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme. It's just like anytime that Styles is making an observation that's like pretty decent, but they want you to think that it's funny, they're like, <laughs> oh, like in the library. Yes, yes. I exactly. noticed that. I was like, exactly. how are we so intense, like, as, like, Jackson's asking for help in, like, the science classroom, but, like, musically. So, like, Styles's absolute need to control Scott, and, or to, like, control the narrative of what's happening around them, which, of course, eventually falls apart because Melissa sees Scott get shot in mm-hmm. this season. Um, but you start to see, like, Scott is realizing that there's no possible way he can continue to keep this from his mom. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like he's he's hanging, you know, in between two cliff faces and his fingers are slipping from both of them. Like, he needs to be able to fold them together, you know? I, um, maybe not a perfect metaphor, but does Teen Wolf need one? No, because it's a garbage show. <laughs> it is evocative, and that is what matters. <laughs> we, are, we yeah. are still talking about it however many years after the fact, so it got... <laughs> You know, something right. Nine, specifically. Um, I think we talked a little bit about Scott. Do we want to talk about Styles? Well, do we want to talk about Allison? I have a bridge into Styles in okay. regards to, like, this Hit specific... Okay, your best shot, mama. Yeah. So, in regards to, like, this specific thing where we see, like, Scott kind of trying to almost, like, you know, be like, hey, mom, this is what's going on. I'm a werewolf. And we see, like, Styles <laughs> over like, the shoulder no. being like, absolutely do not abort, abort, abort. I think that, like, Styles has a real, like, lack of reverence for the law, 
four parental figures, four larger systems, and he has, like, this sort of, like, rebellious thing that he, like, often, like, encourages Scott, who's maybe a little bit more, like, respectful of authority. When you were talking before about um, their respective moral codes, I'm honestly sitting here trying to think, I think that Styles is one of the most... Like, if we're talking about the D&D alignment scale, I think he's one of the most neutral people on the show. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that he is good or evil. I think he... I would call Styles like, chaotic neutral. Like, he does what he does in the moment, and, like, it's always working towards something, but his sense of what is right and what is wrong kind of changes. Well, can and I... you know what I think that goes into is the idea that, like, I mean, if we're flashing forward to season, season three... It was him who, the Nugitsune, who was able to corrupt. And I think you can't be a force for good and have that happen. You do have to be somebody who is neutral to be swung in either direction. I mean, that's a good point. I I think a little bit of what we see with Styles is, like, there are two points in this episode later on when he talks about, like, just don't do evil, right? Like, he's like, don't be <laughs> evil. <laughs> it's if he does evil things. And, like, his identity with, like, the goodness of he and Scott's side, which is really, like, are they morally right? They're just teenage boys. I think so that we see, no. like, this <laughs> so entire, no. This entire show hinges on Scott's moral rightness. Yeah. I mean, but, like, Styles, I think, has, like, an innate distrust in the world around him mm-hmm. and an innate trust in, like, the tangible, in, like, his own moral compass, in trusting Scott and trusting his dad. And I think we see a lot of that mutual trust between he and his dad versus Scott and his mom because we see the parallel punishments happening. So how do we think that that relates to Styles' Styles' relation to futility in this episode? I think Styles has, like, an innate... I feel like he, like, understands that things are futile and, like, he's like... Well, like, really, like, what is the law? That's why he's able to mock it from the get-go when they I have a restraining order. I also think he does seem to be, like, when, when I said, like, Scott's sense of futility, like, is based in him reaching across both worlds. Styles is just based in him trying to get Scott to pick one. Do you think at all there is, like, an aspect wherein, like, Scott's agency is only now, being that he's a werewolf, being that he's, like, faced with this world and these adults that he, like, doesn't really have control over... Like, that he has always otherwise been kind of, like, in control, and, like, Styles from an early age was kind of, like, not in control, like, not in control of his life socially, like, never with the people he we wanted to hang out with. We talked about this before, about how and they, his mom. their dynamic has actually shifted upon Scott's biting, where Styles mm-hmm. was in control before of their, like, friendship, he was mm-hmm. the leader, he's always been, like, the smarter one, or whatever the most like charismatic and then when Scott kind of became his powers their roles kind of shifted in, in a certain mm. way so I think Styles definitely might be feeling that right now mm. I mean uh, unfortunately with Teen Wolf being the show where you're only allowed to have one parent like we can say that yeah Styles feels out of control because he doesn't have a mom but like Lydia doesn't really have a dad and Jackson has neither of his birth parents and Scott doesn't really have a dad either until he kind of comes back in season three or four so I think that that like that is definitely a talking point, but I think Styles' sense of futility has definitely increased since Scott became sort of the leader of their friendship. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're starting to butt heads about how best to deal with things, yeah. and I think Sty- Styles is starting to realize the futility of him like trying to insert himself into werewolf business because he can't really understand it. Um, and or like keep up even. Yeah, and. Like, he continues to be, like, a very important, like, instrumental part to the show, 
but he I think he and Scott like drift further and further away from each other as it goes on just in terms of their lived experience I think I agree with that yeah and I mean obviously that reaches ahead in season five in the worst fucking way season five sucks I feel like I've been swearing a lot but I I think in regard to every time I've sworn it's been about season five (laughs) truly I feel like um we could not swear at all and this podcast would still get labeled explicit so oh maybe yeah you're right well I mean I personally label the podcast explicit because I know I have a dirty mouth but also that there are a lot of abs in Teen Wolf and a lot of sexual stuff that happens, which we'll get to. The, we'll get to that in, in <laughs> Yeah. Um. So we've discussed Styles. We've discussed Scott. I think the next person I want to discuss is Jackson. So now I want to switch the conversation into Jackson officially. Where do we think? Oh, do oh he's having a bad day. He's having a like real a super bad, bad day. <laughs> uh, and I think part and parcel to all bad days is experiencing like some futility. Like most mm. bad days are encompassed by being like nothing is happening the way I need it to. His- Jackson is having a real bad day. Uh, where do we think he is most experiencing futility in this episode, or in his life? Um. I think he is coming to the conclusion that, like, there is another part of him that is the Kanima that is uh, in charge. So he doesn't remember um, saying bitch to Allison, like, three times. He uh, basically blacks out in a library, but, like, has the wherewithal to write a message on the board to everyone to, like, warn them to stay away from him. But that's not the Kanima. That is no, that. that. Damn it. <laughs> You're and I will argue we know that it's Matt because that handwriting is certainly so not bad. Jackson's. Yeah. Um uh yeah, no, I think Jackson is like so not in control of himself. He's spiraling he in ways snake. he does eat a snake. He's spiraling in ways that he can't even comprehend. You know, he knows that he's physically ill, he knows that he feels bad, he knows that there are things happening beyond his control, but he can't even wrap you know, he can't puncture the sort of other side of him that is the canima to really conceive what's happening in that way which is even more terrifying if you think about it mm. that he's doing stuff against his will that he's not aware of it's right awful. so his futility is like his mental ability like his mental facilities which is like to say his awareness like he's aware of something but the futility is against his actual circumstance mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. like where in like there's circumstances of society at large right now for Jackson don't fucking matter. Like, sorry for the swearing. Can I swear? I have been dropping big fat f bombs. Oh, okay. It's our podcast. It's our podcast. <laughs> you blur so me out if you like. No, it's funny because I feel like I've been swearing an exorbitant amount this episode, and maybe it's just the friendship. I know? think it's just because Jackson said bitch three times, and no one ever swears on this show, so we're like mm. be free, be free. But yeah. also like. Uh, it does take a white gay man to call a woman a bitch. Yeah. Honestly. A stupid bitch. Yeah. Stupid bitch. She's a stupid, stupid bitch. bitch. <laughs> uh, what a time. That's what I'm saying. It takes a white gay man to call somebody a stupid bitch. Um, takes a bitch to know a bitch. <laughs> Me. Um, I will say, but, sorry, just speaking about him being a white gay man, his swallowing of the snake. Ew, I meant Jeff Davis, not Colton Haynes. Oh, and yet? Nope, here I, I, really, <laughs> I really did mean Jeff Davis, who wrote the show. 
not anyways. I will yeah. say he got it though. Not a flinch. I could not do that. <laughs> he didn't even do the breathing through the nose thing. He did, he did just let it go. He, he also, let it slide in and slide out. It's a little ambiguous as to whether or not it's a hallucination, but either way, very impressive. I think mostly Most impressive. Jackson, deep throat or question mark? <laughs> yes or no? Maybe. Maybe. Not did he eat the snake. Could he do it well? <laughs> was a hallucination why wouldn't he put in his own ability do you know what i mean like anyway first i read of the episode oh no moving away from whatever the hell savannah's talking about <laughs> I, I do want to dig in a little bit about the sort of sense of futility that jackson has gone through his life with which oh. is the sense that he feels like he can't be truly loved by his adoptive parents mm-hmm well, is that, so, oh, a question I had was, like, so it was, like, super fucking classic Teen Wolf when he was, like, oh, pregnant mom with a baby on the way? I don't want that baby to be an orphan. Well, I think that that's the point, but that is something that we see very specifically only in Jackson's timeline, where, like, even as the Canima, he is unable to kill somebody who is with child because he understands what that trauma induces and in turn that's what we see matt right mm-hmm. it's matt mm-hmm. matt is the one who has to pull the trigger on the mom yeah mm-hmm. yeah disgusting or uh he does come back and man. i guess do it once the baby's out but that doesn't make it any better no it's all terrible horrendous but um, in turn that does render him like jackson normal. yeah i mean yeah um but the uh, point about jackson and, and like his relationship to his parents is that he is so affected by his upbringing, which, like, I don't think Jackson's parents were necessarily, you know, the worst parents you can have. Obviously, Jackson grew up well, spoiled, if anything. Um, But there does seem to be a sense where Jackson is fighting for a life in which he is loved the way he wants to be Mm -hmm. and can't achieve it, which then induces the state of cannibal. I think Jackson has always gotten the things that he wants, but not in the way that he wants them, which is why he becomes the Kanima. Because Allison says in this episode that the Kanima is supposed to be a werewolf, but he can't be. Like, Jackson is supposed to love his parents because they love him. Not supposed to, but, like, they have that bond, and, like, he can't express it. Like, Jackson should be this incredible, fantastic kid who has all this ability in the world, but, like, there's always something standing in the way from him achieving what he wants to achieve. Well, I also think he's also not getting the love that he needs in the way he needs it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's clear that, like, Jackson's parents' version of expressing their love for him is, like, kind of in these grand gestures, you know? Like... Jackson is very proud of the fact that he drives a Porsche, but it's not about, I don't even necessarily think it's like a monetary, like, pride. I think it's because his parents, quote unquote, love him enough to buy mm-hmm. him a Porsche. And I don't think if he was getting, like, love in the more traditional sense of, like, just emotional support, which maybe his parents are, you know, trying to offer but don't feel like they can reach it and therefore give him these big gifts. And, like, that's how it is. Like, I think if Jackson had been you know, raised in a more traditionally, like, uh, supportive environment and, like, accepted that support, he wouldn't be feeling as isolated as he is. I mean, it's almost about, like, 
like the idea of like the conditional versus the unconditional, which I feel like is the thing that brings him to Lydia a lot, who is devoted to him. And like the reason why he kind of like rests on her as another plan B, so mm-hmm. to speak. And it's because of her unbridled devotion. I think and that's true. And he can't really trust like the chosen friends, right? Like so like Scott and Styles, even though they've been like here we're expressing ourselves as friends and here we are saying that we love you how much can he really trust that i think that's totally true mm-hmm. and i also think that that is a part and parcel to the end of the season where it is like the love he receives from lydia above anybody else that can sort of break him from this you know um mm-hmm. sort of fugue state as mm-hmm. it is mentioned in this episode i think that jackson where he is right now as a person like has this utter futility of he will never not be adopted his parents will never be alive they will always be dead like his birth parents and so like trying to get to whatever he thinks that's supposed to be is completely futile like he can Mm. never achieve it and i think that that's what puts him in this state of like purgatory essentially where he can't resolve his feelings towards it i agree it's also interesting too because in terms of like futility for jackson we see in turn Jackson as a person who is benefiting from a lot of kind of the society around him, right? In that, like, he is, like, white, straight, male, and also really rich. And we see Styles commenting on his being rich and getting richer. Mm-hmm. And Styles is, like, talking about the settlement that he's going to get when he's 18. He's like, really? That's not fair. And Styles is a beautiful Bernie Sanders moment of, like, <laughs> how terrible is wealth inequity? Eat the rich. <laughs> Eat them up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting too because it's like at the end of the day, that like potential mobility, that potential power isn't anything. It doesn't grant mm. like, it doesn't grant Jackson any like real agency or real ability because like ultimately he is still so without mental facility He's and like emotional facility. Yeah, I'm like, he could have all the things in the world, but he doesn't have the love, which is a classic rich person trope. Yeah, that that is classic rich person trope, but obviously we see it expelled in a way that is completely uh, other than how you Mm -hmm. often see it, Mm -hmm. uh, due to the supernatural nature of this show. And to, like, his, you know, kind of, like, he's a little bit with it when he, like, decides to save the infant there, right? And it's not his decision to leave that kid an orphan. He's, like, otherwise, like, totally not sober until that moment. Um, I also think it's really interesting because Jackson's clearly not the only person suffering from a lack of love in his life or a lack of, like, emotional support because I think all of our main characters are experiencing that to some degree, like, the absent parents or the parents who don't approve of you and who don't want you to be having the kind of fulfilling relationships that you have, but where... Uh, you mean, like, Allison's shitty parents? Literally, but where Allison, like, turns to her friends and the people that she loves to find strength to combat that issue, Jackson is still looking for people outside of his situation who can fix it, and they don't exist. It's interesting that, like, you speak about, like, the kind of rela- we see, I think, so many different relationships. A lot of single parent to child relationships in the show, and then in turn, we see none of those kids in a healthy way being actually like fortified and bolstered by their parents. Like we see, like even like Allison's parents are probably the most active in her life, and they are like totally controlling and like totally debilitating. And it's like 
almost to the point of like teenagers will do what they do. Is that yeah. another aspect of futility? Maybe. It's funny because I think the, mo- the second most active parent in their life at this point is Scott's mom, Melissa, who is almost a little bit um, the opposite of, of Allison's parents in the way that she's kind of enabling. She wants to trust him. She really wants yeah. to trust him. And we see when she goes through his room that she really struggles with the idea of, of going through his stuff. Um, and she ultimately ends up causing a problem for him that he didn't realize she was going to have. Or she wouldn't know that that was a major problem when she tells uh, mm. Allison's mom that they've been sleeping together. But even when she's trying to restrict his 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 actions when she quote unquote grounds him, she you know she's like no TV and he uh, his TV's broken or whatever. But she's like no internet and he's like I need it for school or no computer but I need it for school. That's true. You know what would happen if I got my computer taken away in high school? My mom would be like have fun at the library. You know, mm-hmm. she can't, which I think is actually common mm-hmm. for a lot of people, where it's like, yeah, well, you fucked up, so now life is going to be harder for you because there are consequences and things. And that's not, like, crazy for anyone's parent to do, because I think, like, I think a lot of people had that punishment when they're grounded. Mm-hmm. But, like, Melissa can't actually extend full punishment to Scott because she loves him so much, like, that that would feel like bad parenting to her. Yeah. And... Uh, when you, her final resort is, I actually had this one of my observations, but I'll talk about it now. Go for it. Her her biggest thing that she can do, like, is to be like no styles. Like she tells Scott that he can't see styles, which is one kind of really moving that she sees that as like the biggest thing that she would be taking away from him as best friend. But also, she knows that styles will climb their roof and, and get into his room anyway. What you know, she knows that there's no. It's futile to try to remove Styles from Scott's life. And interestingly, I think that like the thing that we see her doing during that exact same punishment point is like looking to all the spheres of power that she has, in which she's rebuked at almost every turn, right? Like so, it's like oh, look, my computer's broken, whatever. And then she tries to say like no Styles, and then at that point, like realizing that that's a pleasure that she doesn't really have control over because they will find a way around it clearly. She then goes to finally an appeal of emotion, and then is it your dad's fault? Mm-hmm. Is it because of your dad, and this is out of my hands, and somehow like I'm mm. at fault here? I think I that, like, find that moment to actually be super out of place because we have not yet discussed talked about Scott's it at all. dad at all in this series. So I was mm. just kind of like, okay, absentee dad, that's the problem. Like any dude who's misbehaving, it has to be because he doesn't have like a male like role model like that was garbage to me but in turn is it like perhaps like exemplary of like melissa mccall's own like angelic behavior that she's like i didn't do enough is it the absence of another person i couldn't be two people at once and in turn something that i found like something that i found really moving when she was to talk about her futility that she's facing right where she can't be everything for scott Mm. when she was snooping in his room I think we saw two really great, cool Easter eggs of Melissa McCall, wherein he had three helmets on a like on a shelf, along with like a safety cone. Like three separate bicycle helmets were on display in Scott's room, showing that like of course he wouldn't have been the person as like a sixteen-year-old to have bought like have bought himself those things. Mm. He has three helmets just. Hanging up, out of touch, out of reach. And then, another thing, he like she finds the box of condoms, and he has one condom left. Not only has he been using condoms, those condoms 
were all ribbed for <laughs> her pleasure. He has a single mom. That is a really gross point to make, but I guess, I mean, like, I'm assuming that if your mom is a single mom and also a nurse, you're probably really into sex ed. Yeah. Um, because she's, like, not having anybody else be a single mom. <laughs> Definitely not a and single like, mom. And, like, he just respects women, too. I'm yes. like, team I'm like, not just fun. Was it team mom, not team mom, but produced by the same network, so go crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, your point about the bicycle helmet was really sweet before you brought up the, the ribbed condom. Look, I just think it's important to you know. You know what? It is important that we do rate this podcast explicit, but this one is definitely getting deeper than either of us have ever gone before. Savannah's now spitting <laughs> her grief because she didn't realize that. Um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's all true. I think that you're right that, like, Melissa, we've said this before, Melissa is the parent you wish both Happy Mother's Day and Father's Day to because she's been doing double duty. But even then, there has to be a sort of self-consciousness that she's doing it alone. And that is when she asks, like, is the reason you're behaving this way because you don't have a dad in your life? And that is inherently devastating. Well, I do want to move. Hmm. Do you have something to say? I have one more thing yeah. to say. Okay, because um, we got to yeah, yeah, I, oh, I, I know. But I do think it's very important that Melissa is a nurse. Um, not only because of all of the shenanigans that happen at the hospital, which is absurd and you need to have like that eye in there, but also just the fact of like having her physically removed from the home for really long stretches of time, like puts a strain on her as a single parent because she doesn't work a traditional nine to five. Like she can't be home at night to be checking Scott's homework as we discussed last episode. Like I think it's, um, I again, don't want to give too much credit to the writers. I think that her being a nurse serves a huge plot function. But also from the emotional standpoint of like not being there to support Scott, like it is futile because she's doing the one thing that she's been trained to do. Um, but it puts her in a position where like she can't support Scott. And mm-hmm. that's super frustrating. Mm-hmm. So real quick at the end of the episode, I hate that we're squeezing in the ladies, but we do ladies. have to talk about both Allison and Lydia and their relation to experiencing futility. So who do you want to talk about first? Well, um, let's talk about Lydia because... I kind of want to talk about Allison. I didn't really give you guys a choice because Allison did ask me, and then you were like, oh, wait. Well, then I thought about it for a quick second, you know, as you do. And I realized that Allison's futility is connected to the major plot of this episode, but Lydia's is completely separate. That's true. Um, So I think because of what we've discussed before, I do want to just jump into Allison because inherently we've tangentially discussed her, you know, relation to all of this. So Allison is clearly in what we kind of see as her first sort of rejection of Scott in her life. Yes. This is... Which is bonkers. Entropy. Things fall apart. This is where it starts to fall apart. Yeah. Like, and then, I mean, in, in, in the forthcoming episodes, we see her fully turn to the side of the hunters of her family, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be a big conversation for all of us, obviously. Well, not Savannah. She might not be here, but, you know, <laughs> she's here right now. Uh, but she is both rejecting Scott. She is now. I think. I think part of her rejection of the supernatural does, you know, is inspired by Jackson threatening her naked, which is terrifying. By the way, fully naked, fully naked, dick out. <laughs> Although, Never hang on. Okay, just Never like <laughs> purely like from a. I know that there was some bad editing, right? Yeah. And so we saw some underwear. I'm wondering, is the bad editing, like, perhaps just, like, 
You know, not no, including no, him putting on he's underwear. Naked because he pulls on the shorts when Scott comes in the room. Yeah, and he's like, "What are you doing here?" Well, because because like fugue state Canada Jackson is like, I don't care if my dick is hanging out. Like I am a I'm lizard. An it means he's like, I'm me. very proud of all of this. I'm clearly <laughs> hot. It's me and my extremely I'm long torso. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> long torso. Um, yeah, I just. I think Allison is, is is touching on feelings that she has been rejecting for a lot of the season in a way where she has obviously chosen to side with Scott um, and now must kind of keep trying to side with Scott, but is now finding more and more reasons not to. I think she's starting to look at Matt as like a person in her life that would inspire like normal things because she doesn't know he's stalking her like a fucking psychopath it's so weird to me it's so weird because i feel like she was like really dismissive of him and his like weird like hey want to go to this rave oh it's not a rave if we're not rolling like Which, those oh advances <laughs> i'll get into this later the semantics of raving is fucking sick. but i just felt like she was kind of like like uh yeah whatever whatever and then like suddenly she was sitting at a table with him and her like uh i like her like i don't know like perpetrator like I mean she was like sitting at a table away from Scott who had done nothing wrong I was she, just so well, confused she, there's cameras all over the school she can't be seeing yeah. Scott why because the her, her crazy grandfather set up all these cameras that uh, she okay. I the, the whole conversation with Matt really emphasizes that Matt is like not their age I just want to say Matt's 40 right <laughs> That was what confused me the first time I watched this episode. Is like, how old is Matt supposed to be? Because um, all this happened a very long time ago. But Allison said in the last episode, like at the very tail end, like, and also this has been leading up to it because I think in the episode prior to that, she was like, I have to call my dad. Yeah. Because uh, if I call my dad, it means we saved Lydia. Maybe, potentially. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the last episode, she was like, I need to tell my dad because Jackson's going to kill more people. Spoiler, he does. Um, and I think she's really feeling that. She's really feeling like her dad is the only one who actually knows what to do in the situation. And we haven't seen Chris in a couple of episodes. But I think Allison is like, he's the only one who actually knows what to do. And Scott continues to fail. Not on purpose, and, like, not to hurt her, but Scott does continue to fail. And, I mean, yeah. I guess we do see that, like, even in the locker room, wherein, like, what he's doing, she's like, no, Scott, it's okay. Like, like I I'm have fine, this under yeah. control. And he totally disobeys that. And he then... The sink. Yeah, and then gets them all the detention, too. He just breaks the sink. He just, like, he just gets thrown on top of the sink and then it breaks. <laughs> it breaks. Also, the lockers, they all go... Domino down. The tile in the in the shower, which there is standing water in the shower, you can tell. Because oh my god! Jackson yeah, Jackson takes a step. Jackson takes a step, and somebody in sound editing at Teen Wolf was like, "I'll put in a splash," but that means there's like several <laughs> inches of standing water. And I'm like, "Mama, that's how you get athlete's foot." And it's like thick. You can tell. It's not like a thin layer of water. Yes. It's like a, a pool foot drag. No, someone in like Teen Wolf sound editing was like, "Russell Mulcahy's signature is water." water. So we need to know. Water. Oh, wait, what <laughs> yeah. is it when, like, um, you're doing uh, sound editing in posts and you're doing, like, things like, you know, you're stabbing a Foley. mango? Oh, yeah, Foley. the Foley sound artists. I like the idea that they're, like, standing there looking at this scene. They're like, let's just you know splash would... some water now. You know what would make it way better? <laughs> if we know that his toenails had fungus on them because they're standing water in this locker room. Oh. If Panama doesn't care, he's a lizard. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. yeah. Do you want to keep trying to tell me that the cannibal has a snake, but he has arms and legs? And toes. And he he's jokes. a lizard. He's a Komodo I don't, Okay, he's I'm wondering, do you guys know, like, what have you guys talked about so far as, like, I, I don't know what the cannibal really is. Like, he's a lizard. But, like, is there, like, no, a lore lizard. thing? Uh, there is, but, like, actual cannibal lore, which we have looked up, is a jaguar. Um, I just want to point out that, like, the more that this show develops lore, the less that the lore that's introduced in the first season makes any sense at all. Oh, yeah. No. It just gets worse and worse, and you're just like, I, nothing makes sense. I want an encyclopedia, and I want some definitive answers on how this all mm-hmm. works. That's what the podcast is for. I keep telling you, we're always like, we're writing our own Ooh. encyclopedia. We really need to. We're always like, well, I Obsessed. wish we explain this to people, but you know what? That's our job. We took it on, and we're about to... You know, we're trying our best to it's do it. It's a huge responsibility. Since we are clearly done talking about Allison, <laughs> we've got to talk about Lydia before we move into Q's and O's. Lydia is kind of having her, like, choose-your-own-adventure moment in the show where she's nowhere to be seen, except she kind of isn't seen with Styles, kind of. Um, she's by herself. She's by herself. She's by herself with the ghost... Hallucination. The, like a sort of force ghost-esque figure of <laughs> Peter. Um, which, if there's a character who's force-sensitive in this show, I guess it would be Peter. Are we supposed to know it's him? Because we're clearly not watching it for the first time. I don't actually know. I mean, I think, obviously, this is when we're supposed to, quote-unquote, find out. I don't know if we're supposed to know it's him, but that's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is, like, how Lydia is experiencing futility in her actions through this show. So, break it down for me, ladies. I mean, I have I have thoughts, but have I would. Thoughts, have thoughts, oh, God, please. okay. I mean, it's just insane to me. Like, okay, so like when we talk about futility and Lydia, what we see, I think through. I'm gonna suppose this season. Like, what's insane to me is like the futility that she and a lot of other female characters face, wherein like the uh, male instinct is that of their moral compass, and it's somehow always right. But meanwhile, like Lydia has this express power of being a banshee, though she may or may not know that yet. No, we're not not. anywhere close to knowing that yet. But she has this, like, innate intuition that is somehow not right, ever. And then she's also been, like, like, I mean, like, when she is with Peter and he talks about, like, giving her, like, the alternative that has the, quote, minimum amount of post-traumatic stress, end quote, she's also then... Hugely gaslit. Oh, like, this entire season <laughs> is just about being gaslit. Like, and so it's kind of like her whole grappling with like her mental state versus like the structures that be, structures that be being like the supernatural, aka like Peter, aka werewolves, aka her being maybe a banshee question mark. Um, also Another structure being that she is existing in high school and is a certain amount of popularity and is, like, a certain amount of, like, social. You're right. Mm. That is siren number two, for those of you keeping count at home. Hey. Um, <laughs> we live right next to the fire station. I feel very safe knowing they're there, but very annoyed knowing we podcast. Does anyone else kind of feel like when the sirens go off, it's like, what are you really trying to prove? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're going to get, like, cars to move out of their way. Yeah, I think they're just trying to get to the location quickly. <laughs> I would argue that some honks and some lights could do the same thing. Oh, wait, you know what's like the worst? Show off wait, you know what is the fucking worst? Have you ever seen a cop turn their lights on to run a red? Mm-hmm. Infuriating. You're like, I hate cops enough 
anyway, but that really icing on that cake. The like last Wesley. year that I spent driving, I was like in rural Massachusetts, so like no, but um, I believe that it happens. I it will say I don't does. hate cops if they are the sheriff. That is Mister Stylinski. <laughs> Say Mister Stylinski. Yeah, the only good <laughs> cop. Sheriff Noah Stylinski is the only good cop. Every other cop can eat a dick. True. Anywho. Uh, I, are you, I feel like we have more to say about, about Lydia. Yeah, um, no, I do have more to say about Lydia in that, um, whether or not we were, sorry guys, there's wine involved in this podcast, can you tell? Clink, 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 clink. Here, we'll do some aspirin really cute for the ladies at home, and a one, two, three. Ah, beautiful. Um, so whether or not we're supposed to know at this point, and again, like, it's hard for us to put ourselves back in the shoes of, like, when we were first watching, we do now know that it is Peter, and it is, like, so incredibly frustrating that all Lydia has been trying to do this entire season is, like, regain a sense of normalcy, and everything she has done has led her up to resurrecting Peter from the dead. It's um, funny, because I think that Lydia's trajectory throughout at least these first couple of seasons, actually way into season five, too, I mean, she has moments of, like, Stability, but like I think Lydia is the person who most experiences futility in the show because her like the what affects her and like what challenges her is so beyond her realm of control, and this is just the beginning of that. We're about to see her completely like Mm -hmm. lose her shit in season five, even in season three when she's discovering her powers or what she really is. It is all so separate from what she can, in her life, wrap her arms and her head around. Yeah. That to watch her so to struggle now is you understand that she's about to partake in a deeper, deeper struggle later. It's really, like, I... Okay, so coming in as an outsider without context, and I just came in with, like, my, like, own English lit understanding That's what of we do things. Here. That is literally what the free is about. Yeah. Okay, so, um, and now I'd like to toss some spaghetti at the wall and see if it... Is ready to cook? Come on, go ahead. Okay, so, I mean, like, we know that the wolfsbane flower is the whole thing, Mm -hmm. right? But, like, I found that to be, like, huge confirmation that that was the only thing that she had to hold on to, was, like, this flower as somehow means that, like, any of this existed, but to have a flower as, like, a symbol is inherently yonic. And, like... It like denotes. That, it is so like, funny that you were like, and a flower is Yannick because I was like, oh, a flower is it's impermanent. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Very but interesting. I mean, but you interestingly, were talking about genitalia this episode, so please tell. I us mean, it's all. I mean, yeah. like the pencils. Like, I mean, if so, we were talking about the show, like lacrosse as a sport. Anyways, um, very gay. I mean, just sticks and all balls. All sports are gay. True. Her, uh, like you guys know, like whatever is the intricate rituals. You create intricate yes. rituals to touch the skin of other men. Yeah. Every sport, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes, but we're beyond. Has we're sticks beyond. Okay, that. fine. Anyways, Lydia, I will be saying. Yonic. Yes, I mean flowers are inherently yonic. That's why we have like the whole Thank idea of like. Cute. Yes, and like why we have the whole like idea of like, um, what is it like of like not like uh, popping the cherry, but it's like of, deflowering. Um, deflowering, right? And it's like inherent that like women like have bouquets onto like you know administering them into like a whole bouquet bouquet? no i mean i'm thinking about like i I mean yes but i mean sexually a flower and then like the bouquet to the marriage i have a question about this this 
this particular comparison, what does the uh, yonic imagery of flowers have to do with the futility that Lydia is experiencing? Um, the fact that she would have been, like, otherwise not a target had oh, she not been a female. Oh, interesting. Okay, I appreciate that. I did not know where this was going at first. Yeah, I, I mean, because, that's like, correct. that's the only... She has to, like, I mean, obviously onto. somebody is preying on her as mm-hmm. a woman and, like, appealing... Like, Peter is appealing to her, like, feminine wiles or whatever. Well, also, In order to manipulate her. This is a hole in the mythology where we do meet another banshee, Meredith, and we know that Lydia's grandmother or great-grandmother was one... Grandmother mm-hmm. was a banshee, so... We only know of women being banshees um, as, like, a harbinger of death or, like, a beacon for the supernatural, um, which I think is... A beacon held for the supernatural. If you will. If you will. Um, Yeah, no, I think that that's really interesting. And, like, uh, the notion that Lydia doesn't have any agency is really frustrating, but also Mm. kind of true. And I think that that goes, like, throughout... Um, the season and like kind of now that I'm thinking about it it's a little bit more well plotted than I thought because we see Meredith in Eichenhaus who is like clearly insane because she couldn't handle like being called as a banshee and to have that kind of responsibility and the fact that Lydia is so smart and does have such like a strong sense of self and purpose I think allows her to kind of rise above the noise but she's not there yet well, it's I mean, funny that you say she's got no sense of agency because we can sit here and be like, it's because she's a woman, but I also think, like, yes, obviously, like, every woman is devalued of some sense of their agency due to their displacement in society. But when I look at Lydia, it's because she's at the beck and call of the people who are no longer living. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of people, and especially in the show, that's a lot of screams to hear. And when you are so um, affected by that in the way that nobody else can understand you are obviously going to be stretched in a million different directions which immediately removes any of your agency because you can't move forward as self you must move forward as the group of those souls you carry and she's marked specifically by peter who knows exactly what she is yeah and uses that to his own advantage which is incredible and terrifying Mm -hmm. which is why peter's the best villain well i could but i I do want to move on to q's and o's do you have something very specific to say? Uh, yes, about Banshee mythologically being uh-huh. female. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean, they're wailing women. Yeah, and specifically in the... The people who care for others in death. I think it's the Irish it's culture. It is. That's like that is basically a, specifically like... Specifically, we experience Celtic mythology in the next season, but we'll get into it then. She's not been named Banshee yet, but we do understand that that's where the majority of Lydia's experiences come from. But particularly, I, I think that it's... Q's and O's. Um, so, this mm. is... For Savannah, this is the point in the in the episode where we can just voice observations or questions, which may have an answer, and the observations don't have to have any comment. Just about miscellaneous thoughts we had, things we want to gather at the very end of the episode. You don't even have to have anything, but if you've got something we wish to um, bring it forward. So, Julia, as always, do you have any Q's or O's? Um, I have lots of O's per use, but I do have one like big question. Hit me. Which is, Jackson knows he's adopted. Yeah, yeah. Does he know what happened to his parents? I could only assume yes, because he doesn't kill the lady, the pregnant lady. Or, okay. By, by that, what because do you mean? Because he understands that, like, that, if there's a chance in which that child survives, it will be born in the same way that he will, which is mm-hmm. something Erica explicitly has, says to us, that, or Styles says to us explicitly that he was born by a C-section after the passing of his mother, which is tragic and very upsetting. I think that in the event that he didn't know 
they maybe he may would have killed that woman without thought of the fetus. I do wonder because I think one of the successes of this particular episode is that there's a lot of ambiguity about what's real and what's a hallucination. And so there might be part of Jackson's like lizard brain that knows what happened to him. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Or maybe Jackson's parents told him when they told him that he was adopted. Because um, I know that like if that were me in that situation, I would want to know what happened. I mean, happened. we also kind of know that that might be like closer to public record than we would think. Because Erica yeah. has access to those records uh, because her dad is in it. Is insurance yeah it did but also people would have access to those records anyway as they're like public place records like they're not yeah uh that's a really good question i would love to hear wolfpack thoughts about that one in particular jeff davis jeff davis Davis, we have so many questions please let what jeff davis respond to our emails (laughs) or email us we're up for that also yeah true i'm just kidding we haven't emailed jeff davis although we're not past that yet no we love this show. We do. Clearly. Do you even know the cues? Um, la, 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 la. no, not cues. I don't think. Most of mine are, are O's, and I think we brought up a lot of it. Sav, do you have a cue? I, I'm looking through all my notes now. I feel like I do. Please, please keep going with you guys. I feel like I'm still in. Um, I actually don't have a lot of questions about the episode. I think because this is an episode that primarily focuses on one plot line, which sort of a sort of Lydia soap bubble plot line is pretty easy to follow. There's nothing that I was seriously considering and like questioning in this one. It happens in like two days, which is great. It does. I fucking love when stuff happens. Like Teen Wolf would be like, why didn't you understand this episode that took place over 48 hours, but also only 24 hours, but also three weeks. And you're like, three weeks later. (laughs) Three weeks later. So much later that the old narrator died and they had to hire a new one. I do have some questions, actually. Yeah. All right. So okay. All right. This is a small question that I did for, um, you know, full disclosure. Um, how does Styles know Jackson's birthday? Uh, they've gone to school together forever. Yeah, they've gone to school together forever. You just know people's birthdays. No. Okay, anyways, I feel differently. I remember from kids I hated in elementary school. There are facts from the deep recesses of my brain that when they come to the surface, I'm like, how in the world did I know that? Yeah. Yep. Another question that I had was, like, Styles like, talks about evil in the episode a lot, and it's like, how do you guys know that you guys are the good guys? Like, how did you, like, decide that? Morally, like when we talked about like Styles being like kind of like that I mean, chaotic I neutral. I mean, we about him being neutral, but I think that he Styles is on like as humans often are the side of life, and he sees people taking lives and he sees people saving mm-hmm. them. And it, it, whether it be the cannibal taking a life or the hunters taking a werewolf life, like Styles doesn't agree with like that kind mm-hmm. of, um, you know, ideology. I think there's also a clear divide in Styles's mind between monsters and men. And people who have control over mm. their uh, choices and their actions, rather than people who just kind of kill mindlessly, as Jackson has been doing. And we, the audience, know that it is not mindless. But from Styles's perspective, that's what's happening. And I think, like, even if you are somebody who's neutral, you don't side with evil. Like, that's yeah. the whole point of being neutral is that you're not. Um, like, there is a space between good and evil, and. Mm the space that occupies it is doesn't lean one way or the other um do you have any other questions questions no no oh i actually mm, small question do you guys remember like when jackson had a message on the book yeah oh, yeah why was it a tale of two cities 
Uh, well, he had three. He had two different books he picked up. One was like about I think one was the Odyssey or like Greek mythology. He's in the public I think domain. It, I, yeah. yeah, it was like, <laughs> literally either A books you read in high LOL. school or B books that they didn't have to get pop for copyright. Love it, love they, it. They save a lot of money on music, but they're like mm-hmm. a popular topical book that children would have been reading. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Julia Ost, do you have observations for our, this section? Yeah, um, Allison and Scott are both wearing stripes, which I think is super cute. Very cute um and then scott Allison forever scott and styles are scott's wearing stripes and then Styles is wearing like a plaid which i think is really interesting because like their interests are clashing in this episode not a whole lot but it's like starting to happen um and i also thought that this episode was like beautifully shot there that was my big observation Mm -hmm. with cinematography was really wonderful especially i think the beginning scene where uh jackson is still in his fugue state washing the blood off his hands gorgeous it sort of pans up his body it's low lit but like the blood is contrasting with the blue light it's very very beautiful and then also the scene coming through the train car in uh, derek's like hideaway i thought was brilliant and beautiful don't really know why there's a subway car in there but it's very aesthetically pleasing so i'm into it check I thought the tracking shot through Scott's window was also really good. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny because we were like, oh, Russell Mulcahy, but often his, his episodes are the most striking to us, so we should give big props. very visually appealing. Um, well, and especially because for a show, like, I'm watching Gilmore Girls, and they very seldom do, like, zooms on that show, and I feel like they very seldom do zooms on Teen Wolf. So when it happens, you notice it, and you're like, okay, what am I supposed to be getting out of this? And I felt like every single tracking shot in this episode was very well done and mm. highlighted something that you were supposed to be paying particular attention to. I guess this goes into a secret little cue I had was why why were they in a what warehouse with a subway through it? I'm like is uh, that a train we station? We know that Derek's family owns a lot of weird properties throughout Der- Beacon Hills. He probably just owns a, a warehouse. I swear there was literally. a Triskelion on so, that train. But it has yeah. to be a train station, right? No. I, no. Because otherwise why would he have a warehouse with a subway uh, like, who, honestly you know what I'm just gonna say it who gives a shit <laughs> no one cares no one aesthetic knows. as fuck yeah uh, do you have any other O's um I loved that Allison takes her shoes off I wrote that sneaking. down too I was like she's so sneaky um we talk a lot about the Buffy parallels on this show um I just love that a lot of this took place in the library because I think it's like an also location a beautiful people. reference to the breakfast club breakfast club Buffy all these really classic like teen moments um I thought that there was one thing that Mama McCall said that really upset me where she was like a restraining order is a new load that I didn't think you'd reach quite yet like what is she thinking that Scott's yeah. gonna get into um, I honestly think that was about Styles. <laughs> Styles is a criminal. It's true. Oh my god! It's true. I'm sorry for stealing uh, some of your O's. What? What no, else? No, no, no. Those yeah. are my major O's. Um, I just said Matt is the worst because oh my gosh, he's the man. He's an incel. And he's 40. <laughs> he's 40. Oh, also my O about him being like, is it really a rave if you're rolling? It's a rave regardless. If you're in a warehouse, it's a party. It's either a warehouse party or a rave. I don't care what you name it. Like, you know what? A lot of my friends who go to warehouse parties and like like electronic music are sober. What the hell is Matt talking about? Did you and at also, all? why is he 85 years old? Did you at all feel like that was like a so appropriate, weird, like teenage thing that like a teenager would be like oh rolling 
I love no. to hear it. I thought it was no, like, what's up, fellow kids? <laughs> yeah, I said, oh, no. do you guys do Molly? I, as a 40-year-old, also do Molly. Because he cl- like he went to school with Isaac's older brother. No, who no, 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 no. He was seven when that happened. Oh, oh, wait. Yeah, he was like nine. Or okay, so maybe he is their age. But yeah. anyway, Matt is 40. That's yeah. <laughs> But Matt is spiritually 40 and a great. Matt is an old uh, man. Staff, do you have any O's you want to offer us? Yeah, um... I, I just found it, like, really uh, weird how, like, this is aged. It was weird to, like, see uh, a show we in 2011. That weekly. <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah, and you were kind of speaking to this, and I was like, oh, like, this is, this is, like, something that I was, I really, like, loved to see come back. I was like, oh, like, this wouldn't have uh, necessarily happened if it had been filmed right now. Like, Crystal Reed's intro was really weird. Well, it's crazy to think that the 2010s just ended. Yeah. Um, and we're not actually that far removed from it, but things are advancing at such a rate. Um, and culture is changing and technology is changing so much that we look at this and we're like, it's foreign. Yeah. Um, but it was also things we were living when it was happening. Yeah. Like, of we course. were in high school when this was happening. It was set in a high school. So. And, yeah, you know, um, my biggest O, I would have to say, in regards to that, is that they had so much lip gloss and it looked really good. I love <laughs> lip gloss. Crystal Reed's costuming. She looked great. Gets, I mean, Lydia's gets better as the time goes on, but like Crystal Reed's costuming, I think after season one is good and stays good until her until Allison's passing in the show. Lydia gets she, better and better. Lydia gets so good, and then obviously like Allison's had to stop when mm-hmm. her character dies. Um, but. She wears all this kind of like flowy stuff. It's all very flattering because Crystal Reed is like very tall and very thin, and she's got this dark hair. I think her she looks great. Um, conversely, Lydia's dress does not pass the fingertip test. So, dude, uh, okay, Erica would have been popped for that dress code instantaneously because her bra was out and she was wearing a bustier. It was so weird. My- I was like, come on, no. <laughs> It's like an easy A when she shows up in lingerie and doesn't get sent home, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're like, uh, she would get sent home. My friend Rory got in trouble for wearing, like, a V-neck in high school, and so she went and um, got, a, like, an index card and wrote modesty panel on it and, like, stuck it in the front of her shirt so she wouldn't have to change. I got popped for, like... Did you guys have the three finger like yes. tank top rule? No one ever enforced it. I got popped for that like twice, and I was like, I'm so sorry, my shoulders are so sexy at 15 <laughs> years old. Also, the thing where people are like so mad that they're breaking things in the high school, or being like, this is so absurd that like x like you'd break a sink. Things were breaking in my high school constantly. A, someone tried to sell a gun in the bathroom the year before I went there, and like this was on lockdown for five hours and they like i'm sure blew a hole through the floor like things um, happened i yeah i just remember there being classrooms where like the ceiling would fall on you yeah you're like all right and i was not a very beautiful old historic high school like well funded and yet still the ceiling would fucking fall on you just so. like teen wolf in the <laughs> library yes um, okay, so I want to move in quickly to pack stats. So Julia, take us away. Pack stats, one shirt off. Um, I that was when Jackson was just completely naked. Two so. because he's naked at the beginning and naked also. Jackson just loves to be naked. And to he be doesn't. fair, Colton Haynes looks great. So he does. whatever. Yeah. Um, three claws. Actually, probably more than that. Probably like four claws. I'm not a hundred percent sure. But like, um, we've got Kenwa claws at the beginning. 
Jackson's got some claws. Erica has got some claws out at school in front of the camera. Yeah. Yeah. But then claws. later, too. Yeah. 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 Um, we've got some eyes. There's an incredibly creepy moment where Jackson is like half in, half out of Canama and like writing on the board and his eyes are glowing and he's like, yeah. stay away from me. And like legitimately very creepy. Yeah. Ads. Tell us about the ads. Ads. AT&T, Pop Chips, Mac. And Pop Chips was like the worst one because it was at least three separate shots of Matt being like, oh, look at these Pop Chips and like examining the bag from every angle. Also, Pop Chips are gross. <laughs> not not good. Not and they're good. the blue kind. I feel like that's plain. Yeah, it right? is plain. And so, the, only, the only moderately good ones are their barbecue and they are so bad. All right. So bad, terrible ads. Terrible ads. Terrible ads. But only three this time. Cool. Into oh, it. not to say the condom brand. Yeah. Oh, no. There was no... The condoms were a fake brand. They were They generic. were a fake brand, but I also feel like what's MTV going to do? Uh, hey, Trojan, do you want to endorse <laughs> high school sex? As if MTV does not already have some kind of deal with Trojan. They definitely do. If you watch MTV, that's half the ads. Exactly. But my point is, like, I think it's difficult to ask to be like, do you want to advertise on our show that the demographic who watches it is mostly 14-year-old girls? Yeah, it's a, it's that meme that's like, screw real estate. Free real estate. Free real estate. Yeah, free real estate. <laughs> Um, cool. Cool about the ads. Do you guys have an alpha of the week? Oh, God. They're they're all doing a bad job. They really are. Everybody is failing. My, dude, okay. My alpha of the week is probably Melissa McCall. Mm. Bless her. Um, I was gonna say. She is causing all kinds of problems um, by her lack of paying attention to her son. Not her fault. And by calling attention to the fact that her kids are, uh, like, gotten mouse and are having sex but like she her heart is in the right place and she is trying so hard she's the only person who is not like obviously failing in this episode yeah yeah i would say uh my alpha might be lydia Mm -hmm. uh lydia was really not featured in this episode but um she was i feel like acting to like her own highest intelligence like she didn't know what was really going on but she's figuring out and being faced with a weird huge amount for like a 16 year old Hmm. I think mine this episode is Allison. I think she's starting to figure out where her lines are drawn, where her boundaries are, and going to start enforcing them in ways that we don't necessarily agree with in the coming episodes, but, like, I think it's important for her to realize, like, what she is and isn't okay with. Agency. Agency. And um, I love her, and I love how committed she is to protecting herself, which is deeply inspiring. Um, All of the ladies. All of the ladies. Yeah, low-key. If you pick a boy for the Alpha of the Week, you're wrong. <laughs> okay, guys, I think that about wraps up this episode of the Teen Wolf Rewolf. We are so thankful to our dear friend Savannah for joining us this week. We yeah. very much are. Thanks we for are. having me. It, this way, it's not just like a weird echo chamber of me and Julia being like, I agree, I agree, Ho-ho. I agree, I agree. Indubitably. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, If you guys like this episode, I hope you please review us on iTunes. Please. I hope you subscribe to us on whatever you get your podcasts on. Um... We love you guys, and if you want more of this stuff and more updates from us, more memes, more pictures that Christian has photoshopped acrylics of Tyler on Tyler Hecklin's hands on. If you on, find a good picture of Tyler Hecklin for acrylic photoshopping, send it to us. And I'll put the acrylics right there on. Yeah. Um, please follow us at our Twitter at TeenWolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at TeenWolfRewolf, and from there you can follow both of our Instagrams and Twitters. My Twitter is at Christy Skillian, C-H-R-I-S-T. I S C I L L I A N Savannah, what's your Twitter? Um, you can follow me at Savannah Crosby, which is S A V A N N A C R O S B E 
E. Like a bumblebee. Cute. That's adorable. <laughs> um, I'm jpershing13 on most medias, and um, it's also in our bio for our show. So It is, yeah. I'm I not going to spell it for you. I just figured I'd go ahead and spell it because everyone, people, I know when people don't listen to the show... Uh, or I haven't been listening regularly because they'll DM us and call me Christy because they think that's uh, what my name is because it's my handle. No. But I assure you, Twitter is just prejudice against people with long names. You're only allowed to have 15 characters in your handle, and my name is 17, so. <laughs> what a mess. I'm thinking about changing my handle. So, Wolfpack, if you have any ideas. Yeah, Wolfpack, it's not Wolfpack themed. Uh, but other than that, we love you guys. We want to hear your ideas for bonus episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode with our first guest because we plan on having a lot more. And other than that, we hope you have a wolf of a week. A woo! A woo! A wolf.